This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is being brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And the goal that we have is to give our listeners the real facts, the real stats about our local market. Um, Hey, it might be cold and rainy in Michigan and sunny in California. Well, the housing market's the same way. It could be totally different. After all, we have different laws, too. Anyway, to help me with this today, I'm bringing in an expert on multifamily, which is another very interesting. Uh, important part of the housing picture. We have our single family residences, which we talk about, we as realtors talk about so much. Um, A long, long time ago, I used to hear the name Robin Kane, and I thought you were a national speaker or something on multifamily. Then come to find out you're from Fresno, you work here. So welcome to the show, Robin. Thanks, Don, for having me. Sure. And uh, you are, what, a real estate broker? Commercial real estate broker, probably for 35 years, Mm -hmm. probably from the mid-80s. I've been selling uh, apartments. All right. So how do we define apartments? Is that a duplex or is that 200 units? Apartments would be anything from a duplex. Uh, all the way up to property. The largest property here in Fresno, I believe, is about 425, maybe 450 units. Where's that at? That one is uh, across the street from Fresno State. There's actually, now that I think about it, a property called the Reflections over there off of San Jose and Brawley that I think Mm -hmm. is close to 500 units now that I think about it. Those are the two largest properties. Okay. I know those places. And... um, yeah, they are quite large, and it's a whole different ball game than single-family residence rentals. Uh, now that you bring that up, there single-family rentals are probably the hottest asset class or real estate investment today. Uh, it, it actually stemmed from the Great Recession, and if you recall, back in in those days, there was a, a large number of homes that were foreclosed upon during those days. And the the loans were held by the, what we call the secondary markets, or Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. And what they chose to do is opposed to go through the foreclosure process and then put them on for sale with, with the real estate uh, sector. Uh, they chose to roll them up into uh, packages of 100 to 300 homes or 100 to 300 loans and then sell them off to uh, Wall Street. And what those firms did is eventually they became homeowners. They owned. They ended up uh, foreclosing on those loans and taking over those homes. So they actually bought the loan prior to the foreclosure. Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. And uh, the expectation was is once they became uh, owners of those homes, they would eventually dispose of them. What they realized is there was there, there was a recognition that there was a large. Uh, at that time, a large and even bigger today, a uh, portion of the population who want to rent, but they don't want to rent apartments. They want mm-hmm. to rent a home. And uh, for either they can't afford to purchase a home or they choose not to purchase a home, 
so they they recognize that there is a large sector of the population. Well, as the years had gone by, uh, from 2010 to today, 2021, that sector, uh, in terms of rent growth, has actually surpassed uh, the uh, multifamily or the apartment sector in terms of uh, year-over-year rent growth. And what what was perceived to be a management-intensive or a difficult asset to manage, you have homes scattered over 20 markets, 30 markets, 50 markets, one here, one there, maybe five to 10 in, in one city. They, through technology and through the Internet, they were able to perfect processes and systems uh, to, to really solve those management problems. They were the first ones to use smart locks so -hmm. that if you had a prospect or a vendor that needed to do work, they could just put in the combination for an hour. The the, the prospect can then tour the home if they wanted to rent it or the vendor can take care of the work and then the code would change. So Mm -hmm. that really, it, it solved the problem of having manpower cover those homes. They were also the very first ones to adopt uh, online rental payment. Mm -hmm. So they were able to solve the problem of having to pick up checks, cash checks, go uh, along that line. I thought Craigslist was the one that did that. That was a bad joke. (laughs) So they were probably the forefront of what we see today as fairly uh, common practices in the the rental management business. Mm -hmm. They were the very first ones to actually introduce some of these practices. It's interesting how that came about. And I remember the realtors really fought that, the the bulk sales to Wall Street uh, of um, uh, Goldman assets. Sachs, yeah. uh, Morgan Stanley, all of uh-huh, those. The yeah. Blackstone Group. So, um, but they are, what you're telling us is that that's a big part of the market now. And, Correct. Uh, yeah. So when you get all these ads about, landlords and tenants and they talk about the corporate landlords uh, that is true it's not just mom and pops now yeah the, the the majority of single family rentals or homes single family detached homes that are for rent are still held by what we would call in the business mom and pops mm-hmm. by individual owners a lot of a lot of families what they chose to do is instead of sell their home and buy their move what we would call a move up home move up to the next home they held on their previous home for rent and mm-hmm. it was it was their way to start building wealth start building uh, 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 equity uh, and so they put those homes for rent and so today it's not uncommon to find a a, uh, a, a household maybe with one maybe two rentals that they either previously owned or acquired either through one method or another I remember when this bulk sale thing first came out, they were picking certain markets like Miami, Florida. Is is that prevalent now here in the Central Valley? Well, you know, for those of us who have been in the business a long time, we remember that uh, Merced back in 2005 was Mm -hmm. considered the the hottest market, the housing market. Prices had gone up so much, and there were many builders who went into that market and had built. And then Merced, along with, like, uh, the Inland Empire – in California, mm-hmm. uh, Bakersfield, the other cities, Fresno included, where there were many homes that were foreclosed on or were behind in payments. 
So California, you know, very much was the epicenter for a lot of those uh, portfolios that ended up being bought. But exactly what you're saying about other cities, uh, Florida, Georgia, uh, uh, especially Arizona, Scottsdale, uh, Las Vegas was probably right in the top five as well in terms mm -hmm. of homes that were foreclosed on and uh, packaged up for Wall Street and sold off to Wall Street. And today, the vast majority of those portfolios are still held by those, uh, those investment houses. Is there long-term goal to whittle it down, sell them off? Because uh, they probably bought them pretty cheap 10 years ago. Exactly. Uh, I would say they're... Their value probably has has tenfold increased by a factor mm -hmm. of ten. Uh, I think that what they realize it is is it's an asset class that uh, is here to stay, because as the as the population has grown, the millennials, which is the largest sector of the of the population, there's a very uh, good portion of those that choose to rent. And again, as much as the apartment market is as tight as it is the single-family rental market is uh, just as tight. All right. Well, this is good information because I didn't realize that that is a, the, the newest investment asset class. So uh, that's interesting. And, and um, But here's what makes it even more interesting is in Sacramento, laws are changing or try, they're trying to change laws to do away with single-family residences. Mm -hmm to um, make us what was used to be a single family residence can now have uh, an accessory dwelling unit or two yeah adu yeah right and uh, which would basically make that neighborhood full of duplexes or triplexes well right? i think don everyone in uh, should be aware of uh, the legislature just passed through the uh, uh a bill that is probably headed for the governor's desk, which has to be there by next week, um, a bill to basically abolish single-family zoning, mm -hmm. So, uh, which they feel is an, an artifact of the past. We all have benefited by it, but the reality is is that uh, there are many states that are now reviewing the fact that, uh, uh, that zoning is a prohibition to allow apartments uh, to be constructed. So uh, that bill has cleared, and uh, I think it has one more uh, uh, house to pass, and then it'll be on the governor's desk. And that will abolish single-family zoning. And so that will allow duplexes, triplexes, or whatever to be uh, constructed anywhere and everywhere. And the ironic part is, as a single-family residence real estate broker, I can tell you that most buyers want their own lot, their own home on their own lot. They don't want high density. Correct. N now, maybe it's different if you're in Boston or Washington, D.C., but here in the Central Valley, people want their own plot of land. That is very true. All right. With that, we're going to go to our first commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio on 940 KYNO. <laughs> Now back to Don Scordino and Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and we're talking with Mr. Robin Kane of the Morabi Real Estate Group. Did I say that right? Correct. You got it. Okay. You got a lot of extra consonants in that name, so 
I, I wasn't wasn't sure if I said it right. Um, Robin specializes in multifamily sales here in the valley, um, apartments, and that's a big part of the equation in our housing shortage that we have. So let me in the first segment we talked a lot about single family residences. Now let's go to apartments. Did they quit building apartments for a while? Is that why we have a shortage? Uh, Good question, Don. Uh, Up until recently, uh, we were underbuilding probably since the late 80s, early 90s. If we go back to the the decade before uh, the late 80s, which we all know from us uh, being in the business as being the SNL crisis days, we were constructing between 2,500 and 2,800 units per year. Uh, once the we got into the 90s and into the aught, not years, or what we called 2000, 2010, we barely got close to maybe five, 600 apartments. So you can clearly see that as each year went by and as, as each decade went by, we were severely under-constructing the, 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 the apartments that we needed. Why is that? Was it legislation or was it regulation? Simply put, the rents were too low because construction costs, labor costs, land costs, entitlement costs rose. And it didn't take too long for the builders and investors to realize that, that if you constructed the apartment given the costs, you couldn't, the, rents, the current rents available at the time were not high enough to justify new construction. So the numbers up until recently have not uh, made sense. That is a different story today. And I'm going to back that up <clears throat> from the from my side of real estate. And I know for years and years, I worked with relocating doctors uh, and sh- giving them community tours and uh, showing them what the community was like and what the, you know, we would drive through a neighborhood and I'd say, okay, these are $300,000 homes. This neighborhood here is $200,000 homes and they would but many of them wanted to rent in the beginning and here was my spiel for well more than a decade and that is most of the rents in for apartments and even houses in the Fresno Clovis Central Valley area are going to be between 800 to $1500 a month now $800 will buy you a, or rent you a two bedroom one bath apartment uh, $1,500 will get you a pretty nice single-family residence somewhere that's no longer the case but my point is that was my spiel for years and years and years it didn't change very much exactly and, and that's kind of what you're saying too so why why were rents so cheap what happened yeah what happened? Uh, well the rents were so cheap uh, uh, it's just because uh, uh, even though demand was good there just was never the impetus to see rents rise up until I would say about 2017. And then uh, eventually uh, owners in Fresno became, uh, I, I, let's use the word brave, braver. And they began to realize that they were, we were trailing other markets, even like markets like Bakersfield, uh, Modesto, even Merced. Our rents were the lowest at that time. 
rents began to uh, uh, start to rise, uh, and by 2018, they were rising probably 4 to 6% year-over-year, whereas the Bay Area and Southern California, year-over-year rent growth in, in that period of time was about 2 to 2.5%. So we were starting to uh, clearly start to start playing catch-up. And a lot of that is catch-up. It's not so much that uh, the demand was so high at that point. Uh, it was just a matter of we realized that we were undercharging what the market could bear. When the uh, Now, this is all pre-pandemic. When we got to 2020, 2019 going into 20, the pandemic hit. And there was a, a huge surge, Fresno included, but mostly into the Central Valley uh, and the Inland Empire from the coastal cities. And people began to realize that uh, I, if I can work from home, why would I want to live in a $3,000 apartment in, the, in an urban market when I can live in a suburban market for rents of 1300 to $1,600 and get my own place as mm-hmm. opposed to share an apartment with two other people that I have to work from home with? And it was like epiphany. And so these people began to really put pressure. Markets that really saw this uh, in Southern California it was the, obviously the Chino Hills, Ontario, Montclair area. In Northern California, in the Central Valley, areas that received a tremendous surge of people is Sacramento, uh, the uh, Mante- Tracy, Manteca, North Modesto markets. Because again, people 45 minutes uh, from Modesto, you can be in the Pleasanton, uh, San Ramon area to where maybe your employment was or to the BART station. Mm-hmm. So there, there's been a lot of pressure. So what we've seen today is our rent growth is still 4 to 6%. In fact, we rated last month uh, in the top five, two months in a row in the nation in terms of rent growth. Now, obviously, that has political headwinds that we're now seeing being circulated within our community. But nonetheless, uh, rent growth has been very, very strong uh, in the Central Valley, Fresno included. So what I'm hearing you say is one of the reasons for the housing shortage is that rents did not grow accordingly, uh, and so there was no incentive to build them. Correct. Uh, Till today. Now today, uh, I'll I'll close with, uh, I'll answer the second part of it, uh, but up until up until recently, uh, it, the numbers just didn't pencil out. A, a builder would build a building and find out that the permanent loan that he would use to pay off the construction loan uh, wouldn't be sufficient enough for him to get his, his money back out. So there was no motivation. I mean, he's not there to build for you – know, his working capital is his, his bread and butter to his business, his ability to put equity in, build the project, and take it back out so he can build the next project, not to leave it. Mm-hmm. So what's happened today is the rents have gotten quite a bit higher. It was only a couple of years ago we were what we call break the buck, a buck a foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we're seeing rents between a dollar forty to a dollar sixty, and we're now pushing a dollar eighty to almost two dollars a foot. Mm-hmm. Now the numbers begin to work, and so my phone rings off the hook today with builders locally as well as nationally who are looking into the Fresno market to want to see about maybe constructing apartments. Now, you can drive around today and see a lot more properties either recently completed, under construction, or planned that you didn't see just even two years ago. So I've noticed that driving around. Yeah, a lot of construction now. 
And you're saying that the reason for that is that the rents it risen. pencils out now. Well, it's get, it's getting close Closer. to penciling out. It's getting to a point where it's starting to make sense. And you know where you know you know if you build, will they come? Well, I think there's been a few recent openings uh, um, today. Uh, probably the row, the one at Shepherd mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Willow. It actually made the uh, Los Angeles Times. You can Google Los Angeles Times, uh, the row, uh, and it is a uh, a great story for Fresno and a great story for the apartment industry. Yeah, I'm going to have a lot of questions for you in the next segment about that, um, uh, that and some other projects around town that I've noticed that are very high end and what would drive that. But but I do want to go back to what you're saying about. Um, penciling out so when i first got involved buying single family residences and i remember i was told hey we're self-employed you got to make your own retirement because social security won't be around when you're 65 um, or you won't be able to live on it um they're partially right but they're partially wrong in that forecast from 40 years ago but there was a thing called negative cash flow and it was as common as a water heater going out that you had to repair i mean it, i remember i would buy a, a single family residence and of course the interest rate was 11 12 percent that that increased the cost the debt service but um it was common to lose 200 dollars a month and i remember my friend who was my advisor on this said that's your forced savings account to keep your credit good, you're forced to pay that $200 a month in there to make it work. Now, I'd say for the first 10, 15 years, it was the dumbest thing I ever did, I thought. But today, I now own those properties free and clear, and um, it, it was a smart move. And so I want to thank my buddy Jack for get, giving me that advice <laughs> way back then. Um, With that, we're going to go to our next commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio 940 KYNO. Now back to Don Scordino and Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and we are fortunate enough to have Mr. Robin Kane of the Morabi Real Estate Group here. Robin specializes in multifamily apartments and um, a, a different part of the housing puzzle that that we're used to uh, from our association side. So um, in the previous segment, we were I mentioned negative cash flow. That's where the owner lose has to spend more every month than what the rent brings in. But times have changed. Interest rates are no longer eleven percent. Um, you mentioned that rents are going up. So is negative cash flow still present in the multifamily market today? Uh, great question, Don. Uh, the, the way uh, lenders underwrite apartment investments is they have what is called a debt coverage factor. And uh, it's let's say it's 1.25 uh, is the debt coverage factor. Now, how does that work? If the net cash flow for a property is 125,000 per year, the lender will only loan what 100,000 can service. 
So the reason is, is they want that cushion in case there are any additional costs or expenses, rise in vacancies or operation, operational costs. So the lender will only loan you uh, what the uh, what they perceive as being a safe uh, amount for debt service. So how does that translate into loan-to-values? Typically, loan-to-values on apartments run in Fresno today about 65% loan-to-value, 65 70%. Yes, the lender will tell you he will loan you 80% loan-to-value, but that's like trying to find Bigfoot. Uh-huh. It just doesn't exist. All right. Either that or the appraisal comes in low, right? <laughs> well, the appraisal can come in high because right now the prices have risen so much. But uh-huh. the lender will say, that's great, but we still can only loan you what the debt coverage, what your net cash flow can cover. Okay, I got you. So let's talk about rents going up. Now, And maybe let's look at this from the renter side of it. They're saying, hey, um, you know, my minimum wage only went up a buck a, a year. Um so how am I going to afford this? Don, you hit it right on the nail. For years, uh, for the last five years, uh, my concern has been is that when rents are rising year over year, 4 to 6% in an economy where household uh, income growth is running 2 to 3%, that movie won't end well. And mm-hmm. that, is a, that is a concern. And what happens is, is what I had mentioned earlier, is that because our rent growth has been so strong is that the political headwinds are becoming stronger and stronger. So the political risk of owning apartments has changed dramatically with the advent of AB 1482, which is the rent cap, which is for the listeners, basically you're allowed to raise rents 5% plus the CPI. And I believe the CPI is running around 285. I could be corrected on Mm -hmm. this but 285 to 290, which means just a hair under 8%. Okay. I'm trying to be funny or sarcastic now, but you were wrong. It's not a rent cap. It was called rent stabilization. Uh, correct. That's how they sold it, <laughs> that they were going to stabilize, not cap it. Right. <laughs> I, I, I will say this, that the uh, unintended consequences of AB 1482, the rent, uh, what you call rent protection, has actually turned into a floor. Because what owners have realized that if they don't keep pace with that rent cap protection floor, that eventually, year, as the years go by, it's, they're not going to be able to recapture that. See, in the past, prior to this, this AB 1482, if you sold a building or an apartment that was under-rented, in other words, the rents were uh, two to $300 under the market, you would assume that you can raise the rents through either organically on the existing tenants or through turnover with ab 1482 you're going to what would be a year to year and a half uh program has now turned into three possibly four years to actually get the rents to market so the consequences owners more and more owners are realizing that they need to stay keep pace with the market and raise rents uh to that point yeah and, and I agree with you that AB 1482 that came about in 2018, I believe it was, um, actually worked in the opposite. So we had a show with a property manager from Santa Monica where they've had rent control for 40-some years. So we took a property that – a rental that I bought in 1978. She took one that she bought in 1978. 
my rents had grown from $375 to $950 in 40 years. Uh, um, hers went, ironically, started at 375 also, and it was now at $4,200 a month. And hers was a two-bedroom, one-bath apartment. Mm-hmm. Mine was a four-bedroom, two-bath home by Herndon and Cedar. Mm-hmm. So um, you and, and what she said was basically what you said. She goes, we, we over there in Santa Monica, they can only raise two and a half percent a year. She goes, but we have to take it every year. If you don't take it, you lose it. Correct. So 2018 was the first year that I raised rents on existing tenants in 20 years. Um, there, there, is a, there is another unintended consequence. And what it is, is because if you have a property where the rents are, let's say, not kept up uh, with the current market, uh, it's not uncommon at an apartment building to find uh, the exact same apartments where the delta or the difference between two units, one a tenant with a tenant who's been there for a number of years and one that is being offered for rent, as much as three to $400 difference. Mm-hmm. Same exact apartment, no improvements. Same exact apartment. So what's happened is the existing tenant, that apartment that she's occupying, has created a phenomenon called cash for keys. Basically, there she's built in equity as a tenant in a lower have her, her rents be lower being offered cash for her to vacate that property because the owner mm-hmm. sees if i can raise rents three to four hundred dollars per month i can recapture that at a new with a new tenant and the new tenant actually subsidizes the older tenant correct i have a relative and i'm not going to give my sister's name or anything <laughs> who has lived in the same studio apartment in san francisco for uh, gosh 30 35 years something like that her rents are still in triple digits it, it's like 885 dollars a month where on the same floor new people are paying four thousand and um it, it's because they can only raise it so much and of course when you're that close to zero, if you get a two and a half or a five percent raise, it's not very much money every year. So, um, and it's like, I said, well, why don't you move? I mean, you you can afford a, you know, get your own. You don't need a studio. She goes, I'm a prisoner of rent control. <laughs> she goes, if I move somewhere else, I'm going to have to pay four, five, six times more. So correct. And she goes, that little extra space isn't worth it. <laughs> so, all right. So that has, has AB 1482 hindered investment in California? So your national investors. The the investment sector didn't miss, miss a beat. Uh, a lot of it is because uh, at that time, 8% rent because uh, uh, it was at that time five plus three eight percent was still a very attractive number there the the the, the thing that concerns the industry which was uh, proposition uh, I believe it was 21 that failed this this last uh, cycle and it will come back is the what they call the vacancy decontrol because mm-hmm. when an apartment becomes vacant you're free to set market rents mm-hmm. okay what uh, that uh, proposition was attempting to do is to put a restrictions on your ability 
to set a rent uh, to market, but to actually set it to a, uh, a formula, which is a little bit complicated for this segment here. But nonetheless, it was a way to get control of your ability to raise rent. So that is probably the hottest issue that, you know, as an industry. So for an apartment buyer, if as long as they can reset the rents on a vacancy, they're fine with that. So AB mm-hmm. 1482 had little or no impact on it. I think, uh, you know, you, you have so much demand for apartments there uh, that that was uh, a non-factor there. Mm-hmm. Vacancy decontrol, it, uh, excuse me if I'm wrong, but to me it sounds like price controls. Correct. And I don't think that would pass the Supreme Court. I may be wrong, but um, because you're saying that product, that real property can only be rented for X amount of dollars, and that's a price control. Now, different than rent control, because rent uh, is a, an agreement between two parties. Uh, Correct. Which still might border on price control, but I'm not going to argue or fight that one. But vacancy decontrol would be, ugh. and and that's um, when that one came out. And I was telling some of my tenants, "Hey, I'm sorry, but I know it's been a lot of years, but I have to raise the rents because of this possibility of that vacancy decontrol. If um, I don't get the basis up, my you know, I bought these things for a retirement income. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it's an issue that uh, is will continue to be raised and uh, be put on the ballot. I think uh, for 2022, it will be one of those hot issues. Uh, mm-hmm. It is coming back. The same people who put Proposition 10 are the ones who put Proposition 21. And I think in, uh, we're going to see it come back again for pro- for. Mm-hmm. Uh, the election, you know, for the election, election cycle 2022. Now, if vacancy decontrol comes about, will that greatly impact investment in new construction and therefore create more housing shortage? Uh, difficult to say. I think I think the rents, because new construction is exempt. I think that's the number one reason, because I think the ones, the proponents of these uh, propositions were realizing that if we put controls on new construction, this is going to just completely grind the whole industry to a stop. So it's a 15-year exemption for AB 1482, and Uh, I think that also would exempt new construction there. I think the fear that the industry is currently uh, dealing with as a a COVID uh, consequence is uh, evictions, and it's probably something we should talk about. Okay, let's talk about that in our next segment. Right now, we're going to go to our commercial break, so stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 KYNO. Now, back to Don Scordino and Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and Mr. Robin Kane of the Morabi Real Estate Group is here, and we're talking investment real estate with big units, multi-units. You mentioned a couple here in the Fresno area that are 400, 500 units. Um, That's a good 10-year run for me to to sell that many doors. (laughs) But um, there's, boy, 
I'm starting to see a lot of things pop up on social media about uh, as soon as the eviction moratorium's up that there's going to be 80,000 people homeless. And um, I would like to say this, that only allows people to open uh, or to begin the eviction process if they haven't paid rent and or haven't communicated and worked anything out with the landlord and that eviction process takes time so it's not like tomorrow there's going to be homeless people all over the place correct i i think what's what's happened with the uh, with the covid uh, uh you know the covid event uh Congress has passed a number of bills, uh, not only uh, to provide rental assistance, which we'll talk about, but also, too, through the CDC and through uh, other various, uh, either in federal or state or, or entities, you know, there was an eviction moratorium put in place. And it's been extended, I believe, we're on our third extension, uh, the one currently uh, that is in place. Um, so the eviction moratorium, it's easy to put on but very difficult to take off. Uh, what, the, what Congress came up with was to, the, uh, to the industry is to say, you know, we understand that you're under a hardship as a landlord, so we're going to provide you rental assistance. The problem is, is that the, it's great in its thought, but it's in execution, it's been very poor. Uh, I think it's just came out uh, recently that uh, of the money that was... Uh, uh, granted, I think it was between in the mid 40s, like 45 billion. Only five percent has actually been uh, uh, disseminated to the uh, community. That's nationwide. Nationwide. Uh, California is, uh, uh, you know, is slightly ahead of some other states, but still woefully uh, uh, short of of its uh, design. And part of the problem is is that as long because the tenants are part of the process of applying for that rental assistance as long as they have eviction protection uh, freedom or protection from being evicted there's really no motivation for them to participate in the process so what the rental industry is trying to say to congress is to say look as long as they have no incentive to come to the table uh, it's hard for us to, to get that assistance. So there is currently designs uh, in Congress to revamp and rework that program. So the reliance on the tenant, their sig- signatures, their consents uh, is being thought through. Um, so it's, it, it's going to be difficult to uh, work that through, but everyone understands that that money is not getting out to the landlords. And, and something that it's important that the listeners need to know that most of the pain that is being experienced by the tenants not paying is with the mom and pop, with the smaller apartment owners, the smaller operators. I mean, just think if you had a, a, a household where they owned a duplex and one of the tenants chose not to pay, that's a 50% delinquency. It's a 50% loss. It's not like the 400 and 500 unit properties we were talking about where four or five tenants don't pay mm-hmm. and they can absorb that. But with the smaller mom and pops, it's very difficult for them. And they're the ones who are being hurt the most. So when, uh, let's say the uh, wall street investor looks at an apartment complex here in the central Valley, does it come up that 10% of the rents are not being paid or 20%? Does that ever come up? 
And what percentage would you say it is? Yeah, let, let's let's look at a typical investment. Right now, Fresno is probably operating in a two to three percent vacancy, so the vacancies aren't a concern. When you step back, and the, the next question for uh, prospective buyers is how many tenants are under what we would call COVID hardship cases, and it, what we're finding is it really only amounts to maybe less than ten percent. So if you're talking a hundred unit property, maybe five, six, seven tenants are under COVID hardship. And so the next question is, has the owner and or their management company applied for rental assistance? So most of the answers we get, yes, we have applied. Yes, we received some reimbursement. It's still, there's still a work in progress. So the, because of the market being as tight as it is, there is really little concern about the uh, the co the tenants who are behind because eventually uh, to one of two things will happen one either the rental assistance will come through because it was 80 percent and today it's now a hundred percent you can get reimbursed or two going back to what I had mentioned before about the cash for keys mm -hmm. what we're seeing for investors is they actually uh, will go to those tenants who may be behind three four five six seven thousand dollars to make them an offer mm -hmm. and to say for your for the keys we'll give you we'll, you know give you compensation don't want to put that on the radio but it it it, it it's fairly uh, a, an attractive number there yeah well and cash for keys is something that really helped out in 2008 2009 and during the foreclosure era um and there seemed to be no rhyme or reason to the number that came from the asset managers but it, it did certainly help. Okay, I have a question that I've, I've been looking forward to this interview because a few months ago I saw an article in a newspaper, local newspaper, that said the average rents in Fresno went up 15% in one year, despite the fact that there's that rent stabilization cap of 7.5%, So. How could that be? Well, because, again, uh, you're free today to, on any new apartments, to offer, uh, you to charge as much as the market will bear. And so what, when the, uh, many of these surveys that actually are, are, are done, they will call on apartment properties and say, what are you asking for your apartments? So when, uh, I was I smiled when you mentioned that a two bedroom was renting, you know, for eight hundred, eight to nine hundred. Mm -hmm. Today, a typical, what we would call a Class B, Class C apartment uh, in Fresno for a two bedroom, one bath, is renting for probably in the eleven hundreds to thirteen hundreds. Mm. Uh, if it's in, uh, in in more desirable locations, it could be as much as thirteen to fourteen hundred. So possibly this rent survey could have been flawed because they're asking what the question is, what are you asking for rent, which is correct something that's new. And if it's newer construction for inside of 15 years, there is no cap. Whereas when you read it, I think it's typical to think, oh, man, somebody had to pay 15 percent more this year. But that's not the case. That is correct, because existing tenants were prote are protected under 1482 to the 5% plus CPI. Mm -hmm. 
And I wonder about the word protected because uh, how many managers, landlords are going to say, well, you know what? I can't afford to upgrade anymore. I was going to get dual pane windows put in there, but not anymore. That was that was one of the interesting uh, uh, aspects that was never clarified. Uh, and I think the conservative uh, nature is you're not able to recover those capital improvements such as new windows, new floors. So you're capped to the 5% plus the CPI. So if you made those improvements, you weren't able to add those things back on and, and capture it. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and so um, people shouldn't be worried that rents went up 15% in one year on all properties. It's only the the newer ones. Well, not not so much the newer ones, but what you'll have is uh, if a vacancy uh, uh, comes, if an apartment comes available, the landlords will uh, see you know what the market will do, and if they call around, mm-hmm. and they'll they'll find out that their neighbors, their competitors are asking uh, X, then you know they feel they can ask ask for the same amount, and it could it could differ dramatically from what their current tenants are paying. Now, when I drive around town, and I do this a lot, being I'm a real estate broker, I see a lot of new apartment complexes going in that are uh, upper end. I mean, the, and I could, like the row, um, there's, uh, Granville has one there on Nice and Millbrook. Um, lots and lots of amenities. So, yeah, those are going to pull the rental averages up because they're, they're in the, 1800 to 2500 range but boy they have a lot of bells and whistles so almost look at it that this is a good thing for fresno that fresno has an economy where people can act there's a market for two thousand dollar rentals yeah the actually two thousand plus it could be 2400 to 2600 dollars uh the the challenge will come is because it's easy to make the numbers work when you're building for the high-end uh, part of the market, the, the, what we would call the luxury sector or the high income sector, because the margins are better. Uh, but the, the the need in our community is for the uh, the middle income or what we would call workforce housing. And uh, there are a number of properties that Fresno Housing Authority is building, one on Blackstone and one up on Barstow and Blackstone. Uh, this community sorely needs more uh, affordable housing, middle income housing or workforce housing. I read that that one on Blackstone and McKinley, uh, affordable housing, costs over four hundred thousand per unit. It, it is a head scratcher. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's difficult, and that and therein lies the rub. Uh, if we say we need more affordable housing, more middle income, uh, how do uh, the numbers just don't work at four hundred thousand? hard cost we're talking hard cost construction plus i think it's 460 470 uh to make the numbers work if you're providing uh housing uh for middle income and workforce so somewhere there's a there's there's a, a number of subsidies that are being involved in that property mm-hmm. well at least some of those subsidies or those subsidies are coming from the government Rent control is where one private citizen subsidizes another private citizen. And that's not why my ancestors came here, <laughs> to subsidize somebody. But um, 
with all that, I, I want to thank you very much for coming in today, Robin, and um, sharing your expertise. Hopefully, all of us got a good view of uh, what apartment building, apartment management is like, and uh, the challenges that are, that are out there. Thank you for having me, Don. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in every Saturday to Welcome Home Radio. We'll be back again next week. Take care. You've been listening to Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO.